Numbers chapter 26. I'm pretty confident that when you are thinking about where to go with your daily devotions, you probably are not going to turn to chapter 26. I'm just suspecting that. And it's the second census that was taken in Israel. Now you might like the 12 tribes. You might like their names and their numbers and all. But it's just rough sledding. Because half the words, half the names you can hardly pronounce. But it's there for a reason. God doesn't haphazardly put things in writing for us to look over. He's got a purpose and a reason. Uh, because of the volume that's there, and for the sake of time and stumbling over the names, I'm just going to give you a, a rough overview, if you don't mind. Uh, it is the second census uh, that is now taken by Moses. This particular census is at the end. The first one in chapter 1 was at the beginning of their wanderings. And now this particular census is at the end of the wanderings, right before they're ready to enter into the promised land. I do want to uh, direct us to uh, verse 51, if you will. And you're feel free to take and read this uh, this week, if you'd like, you know, to fill in the blanks that I've left here. <laughs> but verse 51 reads as follows. Uh, These were those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, To these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of the names. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the lot of their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. And so... This census, as you can see, is a setup for uh, the nation and the various tribes to receive their inheritance as they enter in uh, to take the promised land. And uh, notice there, uh, it says, uh, two, in verse 53, to these the land shall be divided as an inheritance, and each, uh, as we read there, uh, shall, each shall inherit according to the names of their fathers. Literally, uh, every tribe shall be given its inheritance to its numbers, and it, this is the part that gets, gets me. Each will be given its inheritance to the mouth of its enrolled men. That's, that's the hard interpretation from the Hebrew. Um, at the mouth, I find it an interesting thing. But before we get into that, are you interested in your inheritance? Have you given it much thought, the inheritance that you have as a child of God? Are you enrolled in the saints who shall receive of the Lord his loving inheritance? You should be able to answer those in the affirmative. If not, we need to, uh, you need to listen up. You know, the Lord speaks of things that are not as though they were. And so this census, this role-taking, this allotment that is about to happen uh, should, should be a clue to the nation that they are going to take the promised land. The second generation people that are left, the first generation has now died off. The only one left now at this point is Moses. Everyone else has died. Moses actually, and of course Joshua and Caleb, three out of the whole lot that came out of Egypt have perished. And he's telling them, he's setting them up so that this taking of the land and making the allotments and doling out the inheritance would be clear. He's preparing them for it. And I love this. Um, God has something special for each one of us. It's hard to imagine that there's an inheritance awaiting the billions and billions of people that love God and that are there. And those of us that are yet to come. There's something waiting for each of us. But notice that expression there, to the mouth. 
It's so important what comes out of our mouth. Because as Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, the heart is the deepest part of our eternal being. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we'll be saved. This is what Paul tells us in Romans 10, 8 through 11. The word is near you in your mouth. If you have not enrolled, if you've not made the confession with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord, if you have not received him as your Lord and Savior, you need to. If you fail to do this, you'll have no inheritance. There's nothing for you. It's death beyond the grave. But for those who confess Jesus as Lord, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. What a wonderful thing it is. None of us in this room who have received the Lord Jesus Christ should feel any shame whatsoever. There is no condemnation. No means nothing. We do not stand before God condemned. We have been justified through the work of Jesus Christ. He took the nails for you, for me. For all who would believe on him. I trust that you have confessed with your mouth. I trust that you believe in your heart. If not, you have that to work on. Now, when we start talking about inheritance, and we start and we often talk about rewards on the other side, right? There are those who say, Well, you know, I don't really want any rewards. Oh, come on. Stuff fooling yourself. I want everything that God has for me. Why not? Because everything that God has for you and for me is good. There's no... He adds riches without sorrow. There's no sorrow in what God's going to give you. So do not say in your heart, I don't want a reward. Think in terms like this for you humble people that don't want to be rewarded. If you have a friend who really loves you and he cares a lot about you and he has thought for some time on this gift that he wanted to give you and they approach you and they present it to you and you say, oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. It's okay. No, no. How, how is that person who's thought about you, knows what you like, created you for, in, the, in this case, for a very special purpose? And because you love him, he wants to share a token of his love by giving you something that he knows you'll really like. And you say No. Now you understand maybe just a little bit how the Father would feel if we would resist Him giving us what He wants to give us. A wonderful inheritance. We know in that scenario that intuitively we would be offended if we were the one giving it to that person who rejected it. We would be slighted, jilted, because, man, you're my friend. I love you, and now you're resisting. More importantly, to remember, think about what God has planned for you. His purposes are yet to be revealed to each one of us. He has laid up an inheritance for each one of us that is beyond our comprehension. Before we go beyond chapter 26 here, I want to just briefly uh, scan uh, chapter 26 and jump right back into 27 here. But uh, notice in the first few verses there, it was the father's houses, again, staying with the pattern. And then 20 years old and above, the ones, these are the ones that were counted, the ones that were able to go to war. Uh, the children were not counted. So we're talking a serious number here. Uh, if I know you, some of you are going to think this is a little bit nerdy, but I like numbers. I think they're kind of cool. If you would compare these numbers in chapter 26 with the census 
numbers taken in chapter 1, you'll find uh, there's a difference in, in each of the tribes. Some of the tribes increased and some of the tribes decreased. The total difference in the end was there were about 1,800 or so less on the, in the second generation here in chapter 26 than in chapter 21. I don't know how, how, if that's um, significant or not, but five of the tribes decreased in number, and the rest of the seven increased in numbers. Some uh, were pretty close to even. Um, one in particular, Manasseh, gained 20,500 uh, over that 40-year period. And then there were others that lost 37,000 in number. Uh, that would be Simeon. So just interesting as you start comparing those numbers. But God keeps track of each and every one. So now as we go to uh, chapter 27, we'll get into the fun part here. Uh, we have a cer- uh, an interesting circumstance that has arisen. Uh, and let's read here in chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. Then the daughters of uh, Slophed, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Milker, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, these were the names of his daughters. Mahala, Noah, Agai, Milcah, Tizra. They stood before Moses and before Eliezer the priest, and before the leaders of the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in the company of Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among the family because he had no son? Give us possession among our father's brothers. And so Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad, speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers, because the inheritance of their fathers is to pass to them. You shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then it shall inheritance shall be to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then he shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then he shall give his inheritance to a relative closest to him in his family. And he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute, a judgment, just as the Lord commanded. So, I find this really interesting. I don't think we should think for a moment that God was unaware of what was going to happen. And why did he wait until this very moment to address this issue? I mean, you look through the statutes and the ordinances and all the things that are given in Exodus and Leviticus, and it's like, well, how would he possibly miss that one? Something of such great significance, at least in the lives of these ladies, right? Um, obviously, the Lord has a good reason. Yeah, we don't really know all that, but there's a, a, a lesson here for us. And I think that the basic l- lesson is God will always deal with the discrepancies uh, in our lives if we're willing to bring them to, to him. And I love the way uh, this is handled. It's a lesson for us. There's a principle here that's important for uh, application in our own lives. And the way Moses handled it is a template. It's the way he's always handled situations that he... Uh, was confronted with and he didn't have the answers for. He's not an assuming person. He has, he's a meek individual. He, he, he knows what he doesn't know, but he does know what he does know. And in this case, he doesn't know or have a clue how the Lord wants to handle it. These are not his people. They're God's people. How does God want to handle this? This is a good perspective on any, uh, for any leader to have. So he, he knows that the Lord is always going to do what's best. And see, that's something we need to understand. God is always going to do what's best for you. He's got the big picture in mind, and only he has the bigger picture. Trust me, right? So, again, Moses does what he normally does. He brings the case, as we've read there, before the Lord. And that's what we should do. When we get into those situations, when we don't know what to do, we bring it to the Lord. Lord, what should I do? I don't 
have a clue. I don't get it. I don't understand. And if we give God time, we give God space, He will answer us. He will show us if we're patient and wait upon Him. The point, too, is God wanted everything to be clear for Joshua. There wasn't to be any, you're in the middle of fighting a war, which is what's going to happen. They're going to go in and divide the uh, promised land in half, right down the middle. And then they're going to, uh, to go south, and then they'll go, come back north. Perfect uh, battle plan led by Yahweh. But when you're in the midst of war, the last thing you want to do is have inter- internal turmoil. God wanted everything to be clear. When discrepancies arise, it's important that we work through them. God doesn't want us to live in a state of confusion. He wants us to know. He wants things to be clear to us. And so I think that might be in part why he allowed uh, this circumstances to come to this point. Uh, Slofod uh, had these daughters, and um, God was aware that he had no sons. And, and these ladies probably didn't think a whole lot about it until after Dad died. Hey, wow. We don't, we don't have any brothers. That means we're left out in the cold. Does God care about his, his daughters? Of course he does. So just real quickly, some basic principles to live by. Always take your questions to the Lord. I mean, this is really basic stuff, but sometimes we're just, we skip over the basics for some reason. So I'm just here to remind you of them. Always take your questions to the Lord. Then you look, has this issue that I'm facing ever happened before? Is there any place in scriptures that addresses this, maybe at least in principle, then I need to go to that portion of scripture and study it. And when you're not sure, wait, and he'll show you. And just as a side note, from personal experience over the years, don't just, as you're waiting, be waiting just to hear something you want to hear. You know, God may have already answered you and you're waiting be, uh, because you're not liking what you heard <laughs> initially, right? So just be honest with yourself. That's very important in the middle of this. And then it's good to seek confirmation. You know, sometimes we, we can't see completely. We don't see all the potentials. And it's always nice to have a confirmation and the Lord will be kind to give you that confirmation along the the way. But always seek the Lord for greater understanding. Always seek the Lord when you need direction. Don't just wing it. Don't just try, well, you know, let's just give this a shot. <laughs> well, it's not a, you know, Abraham and Sarah did that, and that didn't work out so well. So just learn from the lessons of other people's mistakes, right? <laughs> but be patient and pay attention, and God will show you. Just be looking for the answer as you wait. Now, I also think, secondly, that it's important that you spell out your case. What are you really asking the Lord for? Don't be ambiguous. Just bring it right out. Lord, this is what I'm thinking. This is what, is con- this is what concerns me. This is what I need to know. Because if you ask specific questions, you'll get specific answers. If you ask general questions, you're going to get a general answer. And then, that, well, how good is that going to help? I mean, really? <laughs> no, it's not going to help much. So just... Spell it out. Here, and understand, too, the Lord knows the details, so it's not like you're informing God. You're just making it clear what you're asking so that you have clarity and direction. The idea in doing that is that you're really thinking through the situation. God, want, God give us a brain. You know, that's a supercomputer sitting on your shoulders, by the way. You do know that. There's nothing else like it in the whole world. It's amazing stuff. Some of the computers, our computers don't work as well as others, but that's beside the point. Use it. Think. Use, use what you at least, what little gray matter you may have left, right? <laughs> so God, in this case, in verses 6, he renders uh, the judgment. And look how thorough the answer is. I mean, you know, okay, the they, they've got a great case. They are right on the money. The daughters nailed it. Isn't it amazing how smart women are sometimes? 
Sometimes. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, whoa, here we go. <laughs> they shall have a possession. God cares about all of his kids. He doesn't want to leave anybody out. He will give us all our due. So no son, it'll go to the daughters. No son or daughters, to the brothers. No son's daughter's brothers, then it'll go to his father's brothers. Well, if he has no father's brothers, then they'll go to the closest relatives. He's got every base covered so that the name uh, will go th- continue on. Now, I'm going to deviate from a little bit of this because the Bible has a lot of wonderful things to say about inheritance. And I want to speak on a, f- uh, spend a little time, just a little bit of an overview. And some of you may have not may be aware of this, uh, some of these things, and others of you uh, may have not ever heard it. So I'll just uh, start with how Paul presented it to the Colossian church. And this would be Colossians 1, if you have your Bible or if you want to see it on the screen there. Uh, Colossians 1, 10 through 14, uh, Paul's Jewish. Paul was a Pharisee. He, he wrote half the New Testament, but what was his Bible? The Old Testament, he's Jewish, he's a rabbi. He, he has that f- thousands of years of historical uh, work through the nation. He sees and understands uh, the ways of God. And so uh, that comes through here in his prayer. And we read in verse, beginning in verse 10 that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Notice the phrase, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So, don't think you're not worthy to receive an inheritance. You're qualified. That's the power of the blood of Christ. He's qualified each and every believer to receive an inheritance. On the other side, notice he uses the phrase saints in light. Now, keep that in your mind. That's an important phrase. But the word share and inheritance is something that's sort of equivalent terms in the Old Testament and in reference to Israel's portion and their allotments in the promised land. And so Paul is comparing that to what you and I as Christians, the church, are going to receive in Jesus Christ. They received the promised land. Ours will be in heaven in the light. We're going to receive our inheritance uh, in, in that fashion on the other side. The, um, you think about the, the phrase itself, sons of light, what does that involve, and what what's the connotation there? It is people who walk in truth, is people who are moral. We are children of the light. We reflect the nature and character of our God, as the Bible declares. God is light, and so we are the children of light, the saints in the light, and so we walk in the knowledge of God's will, and we're part of God's kingdom. And this blessing of inheritance is reserved for all Christians. In verse 5 of Colossians, he refers uh, to that hope reserved for us in heaven. So to make it clear, that's where the inheritance is going to come. It isn't in the here and now, in that sense. Everything in the here and now is temporal. Everything on the other side is eternal. Aren't you glad that the inheritance that you're going to receive is eternal? It's not going to fade. It is forever. <laughs> That's just overwhelming to think of that. 
Now, in our inheritance, it's often overlooked, what we do have on this side is very important to know. We've inherited an authority. To those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to them, he gave the right, the authority, to become the sons of God. That's in the Gospel of John. We are adopted into his family, and we now have rights within the family, and we've been given authority uh, by him and for him to continue this work. I like the way Dr. Michael Heiser puts it. Uh, we have a stake in the family business. You know, that's sort of what's presented to us kind of in the old, it's the family of God. They would go to Yahweh's house and eat. Remember the whole family, family of God. Well, God has two families, if you will. He has the family in heaven, the sons of God. They do his bidding in the unseen realm, at least unseen to us. And then he has, he desired to create a family on the earth, mankind. And so Eden initially uh, was God's house, if you will, a garden on a mountaintop. Read, read Ezekiel, you'll see the mountaintop there. And Yahweh would come and spend time with Adam. In the cool of the day, he would walk, he would have fellowship. He was involved in introducing, if you will, Adam to the family business. Now, here's what it's about, Adam. Uh, you see this garden that I've planted for you? It's really pretty nice and pretty cool. Look at all these cool plants and all these neat animals. Now, the rest of the world needs help. It's not Edenized yet. But your job, you and your wife, is to Edenize the rest of the world. So, it's a big world. You're going to need lots of kids. So, be fruitful, multiply, and we'll talk later. While he was gone, we know that they made some mistakes. We know that the fall occurred. We know that our natures were cursed. We now have a fallen nature. We died. Our spiritual man was no longer the controlling uh, apparatus, if you will, of our nature. We're now being controlled by our, our base nature, the flesh. We died in that relationship, but our spirits needed to be made alive again through sacrifice. So just because we fell and our natures were cursed and we have a fallen nature now, and because of that sin, there was a curse upon the earth. Just because we have a cursed nature and we're living in a cursed world doesn't change God's plan. It's an upside-down world. Our job being made much harder by those two curses is to turn this world right side up. That's what our job is. We're to Edenize this world, make it fit for, as it were, for God to come and be here with us. God has, in that sense, distanced himself from us because of the fall and the curses. So it just has made our, the expression of our authority and the work that we're to do much, much harder incredibly harder. We have to, first of all, overcome our own flesh. If we're ever going to make a difference in this world, it's because we have learned how to govern our fallen nature, to learn how to bring our flesh, the cravings and the things that, and desires that we know are contrary to the Word of God, to the cross, and see our old man crucified. To, we have to do that if we're to walk in the victory that's provided for us in Christ. To the greater degree that we do that, the more victory we have. You wonder why you don't have victory in your life is because you're not bringing the corruptible flesh to the cross and see it nailed to the cross with Jesus. That's it. Paul says, I die daily. We're to crucify the flesh. Put it to death. How do you do that? You do it by faith. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do is to conquer your sin nature. And it's not something you completely conquer on this side of heaven. But hopefully... Uh, through, through practice and diligence, staying close to the Lord, you'll have more victories than failures. And that's our hope on this side of heaven. To the degree you do that and walk in victories, to the degree you'll be able to accomplish the purpose on this earth that God has ordained you for. You know, Satan knows, the enemy of our soul knows that he cannot snatch us out of the Father's hands. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So he knows that. 
So what will he try to do, and him and his imps, if you will? They'll simply try to make your life unfruitful. They'll tempt you, try you, harass you, oppress you, do everything they can to drag you down and make your life unfruitful, to cause you to live after your flesh. So you're always turned inward dealing with self. And that's how he wins, in a sense. Now that person who battles with the sin nature, and that's all the further they get, they love, they're probably love the Lord and they're going to be saved. They're just not going to have much to offer the Lord in regards to works because they couldn't overcome their fallen nature. This is what we're supposed to do. This is our, our work, as it were. Now, another place that describes this inheritance is Ephesians 1.5 and, and then also Ephesians 1.11-19. Let me read these verses here. Verse 5 reads in Ephesians 1, Having predestined us to the adoption through Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, in whom also you were chosen, having predestined according to the purpose of the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who hoped beforehand in Christ should be for the praise of his glory, in whom you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, when you believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. And because of this, I also, hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and then in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your hearts having been enlightened so that you might know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance among the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of His power to us who believe. Now the word saints, hagios in Greek, means holy ones. And Paul is telling the Ephesians that they have a glorious inheritance among the holy ones. Now, if you're familiar with the holy ones, that is a reference to the angels, the serving angels that were involved in Yahweh's business in the Old Testament. They're bene Elohim, the sons of God, are referred to as the holy ones. So as I said before, as we look through the scriptures, we see uh, these two families of God, the angels in heaven and mankind on earth, God's heavenly family and God's earthly family. And we all are involved in the family business. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. Our business is to make this earth a better place. So Paul here, using the word Hagios, or holy ones, is putting us on similar, the similar level as the angels were that served the Lord in the Old Testament. And I want you to turn now, uh, this would be Ephesians 1.18 if you want to write that down in your uh, notes there. But turn with me, if you will, to Daniel 7. Daniel chapter 7. Remember, in Jesus' ministry, he often referred to himself as who? Not just the Son of God, but who? The Son of Man. And so when you know your Old Testament, and Paul knew his Old Testament, the writers in the New Testament knew the Old Testament. In Daniel 7, we have the second person of the Trinity in human form, the Son of Man receiving this everlasting kingdom from the enthroned ancient of days. So we see two persons. We see, as it were, as it were, two Yahwehs, right? We see the ancient of days upon the throne and then the Son of Man coming near. And of course, that's not hard to see the, old, the Spirit 
in the Old Testament either. So we have the Trinity, if you will, in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. It's a little easier maybe to see it in the New Testament, but it's nonetheless there in the Old. In Daniel 7, beginning in verse 21, we read the following. Daniel speaking, I was watching. And the same horn which was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. <clears throat> Notice the word saints. That's talking about us and them, right? Well, there's going to be a co-rulership with the angels, right? Just keep that in mind. The, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. Trample it, break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from the, this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and he shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. The saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time, but the court shall be seated, and they shall be taken away his dominion to consume and to destroy forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. And as for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance was changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now some of you might be as Daniel. Your hearts might be troubled. <laughs> Your countenance might change. And we are living proximity of this coming to pass. The United Nations and the elites who seek to rule the world have divided the world up into ten regions. And this is what this whole Agenda 21, Agenda 3030, or 2030 rather, is all about. To bring about world government, one world government. Will they succeed at this time? Only time will tell. My personal opinion doesn't really matter. I have my doubts that it will happen at this time. I still think there's an early rain, the pouring out of God's Spirit at Pentecost, and the latter rain, the pouring out of the Spirit at the end of the age. I'm expecting a revival. A massive global turning to God, it will not last long. And then I look for all hell to break loose after the rapture. Now, you no doubt understand English as well as I do. We see here that the saints are persecuted and they're given into his hand and there's something going on there. <clears throat> We don't have time to talk about that this morning, but there's different pos positions on that. And I'm sure you're going to give it some thought. It doesn't really matter in the end, right? What matters in the end is that you and I are obedient unto death. And the only way you and I can be obedient unto death is if our hearts are filled with faith and love for God. He will give us the grace. He will give us whatever it takes. Think of all the martyrs that have given their lives at the moment they were persecuted. God gave them grace. The very first martyr in the church, Stephen, is he standing there just bringing the word of God with boldness and, and, and fearless, just fearless. He took the rocks and God took him to heaven. God gave him that boldness, that grace. Would he not give it to you? Will he not give it to me in the time of our need if it comes to that? And it's because that we... If we have loyal love towards him, if we are faithful to God, then we'll have the grace we need to endure whatever the trial, whatever suffering we may have to endure, God will be with us. We have nothing to fear. 
The only one we should fear is him. He's the one that's able to save. He's the one that's able to destroy. What can man really do to me? He can destroy the body. Torture, yeah. He can do all that. But they cannot take our soul. And that's the important part. We belong to him. But Paul, as getting back to the subject matter here of the inheritance, he echoes this thought in the letter of Ephesians. We're, we're heirs. Uh, we're not only heirs of God, but we're joint heirs with Christ. We're part of that divine family. And we, are, we have the right and will rule with him. Now, you, I cannot begin to believe or believer, that's not the right word, grasp the magnitude of what that means. It's an everlasting kingdom as we've read there in Daniel, right? We are going to rule and reign. We're going to be in charge of the family business when it comes to the millennial reign and however long that reign is, forever and ever. That's quite an inheritance. You can take this a little bit further. We won't go into it as we end, come, uh, have another direction to go here in our ending. Um, but the Bible talks about us, we'll judge angels. Probably the ones that were given the authority in the Old Testament that totally rebelled and, and turned against the Lord. Uh, we look at Psalm 82 and we see their punishment. They lose their, uh, they become, they're going to die like men. They lost their uh, immortality through their disobedience. But we have an, an eternal kingdom and, and, and we should spend time enjoying what's coming. Nobody's going to stop what's coming. We, we hear that phrase, nobody's going to stop what's coming. That's right. Nobody's going to stop the coming of the Lord. No one's going to stop us from receiving our inheritance. Do you think Yahweh's caught off guard by any of these things that are going on in our world? Absolutely not. I think this is reinforced as we read in Revelation 2. Jesus, in verse 25, Behold, hold fast till I come. Hold on. Hold on. Hold fast to what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my words until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. As I also receive from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to rule and reign. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, yeah. You're going to be able to do whatever God empowers you to do. We're not going to be limited by our, our fallen nature. That's gone. It's amazing what's in store for us. John is quoting from Psalm 2, 7 through 9. You see these guys in the New Testament are constantly pulling from the Old Testament and bringing it into its fulfillment. And in our case, yet to be fulfilled. Psalm 2, verse 7 and 9 read as follows. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, Notice it's Yahweh saying to me, who's me? There's, here, there, there's, you know, there's the two Yahwehs here. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So just as Jesus inherits an everlasting kingdom there in Daniel... He's going to share it with his kids, with other family members. This is what this is all about. Those who overcome, we're overcomers. Notice in the following chapter in Revelation 3.21, for those who overcome, look what it says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is speaking to the Laodicean church. He's knocking on our door. He's knocking on your door. Are you walking with Christ? Are you doing your best to crucify your flesh? If not, step it up. 
Now is not the time to be playing around with the world. Now is not the time to be caving to your flesh. Greater is the spirit in you than the spirit that's in this world. We are overcomers. We will win. You will win. God can, God can make us to stand. There's no condemnation. We have forgiveness. Turn. Turn to him. Trust him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, are you listening? Open the door. Indeed, I will come into him and dine with him. And he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I have also conquered and have sat down with my father on his throne. Do you understand? This is your destiny. We're not just going to fly out of here smelling like smoke. We're overcomers. We're not going to fool around with this. We are the victors. We have authority. We're part of a divine family given authority to rule and reign, to turn this world right side up in Jesus' name. And that's our jobs. We're going to have a place of leadership in the worlds to come. That's amazing. I wanted to finish the chapter, but I'll save it for another time. And I want to just take some time as the, uh, we've closed with some worship songs here um, to just sort of marinate in some of this. Think about your walk with the Lord. Uh, the Bible says if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. It, now I find that a, a very fascinating and encouraging word. We have this. If we take our time and we set before the Lord as we read our Bibles and we pray the scriptures and we apply them because I believe the Bible is to be read devotionally as we apply the truth to our heart and we confess our sins our failures our wrongs our bad attitudes whatever we know is unpleasing to God and we just daily right the ship stay on course then it is inevitable that we will be in the will of God and we will fulfill his purpose. I actually think it's impossible to miss the will of God if you're doing that. Now, you may not feel totally comfortable with your life situation if you've been doing that for a while and you feel like you're a miserable failure. That's just the enemy. Stay the course. Continue to do the basics. We never get beyond the word. There is no hope. There is no other way but the intake of God's word. There is no other way but by prayer and supplication. There is no other way without the fellowship of the saints. We need each other. Do not fall into the trap of forsaking the assembly of the saints. That is, that is the ploy of the enemy. He wants to steal, he wants to kill and destroy. Do you get it? You should. You probably do. Don't let him rip you off. We are called together as a family. I think one of the most important things we did as a family growing up was eating together. There's something about, it's an unspoken thing, and I've heard this before and many of you practice and know this. There's something about eating together. As a family, you, you're relaxed. You have carry a conversation. There's a bonding that takes place. You do that day after day, year after year. There's an incredible bond that you have as the family. And the same is true in the family of God. When we eat together and we spend time together, we're in war together. We're a band of brothers and sisters and we're united through the trauma and the trials. Our church has been through a lot the last couple of years, just like many other fellowships. But by staying together and going through it together, there's a strong love bond that's been created. 
And this is why the enemy seeks to keep people from coming to fellowship. We're not counting heads here. It's not about how many we can get in here. It's about where God has called you, and he's called you to be faithful to serve your brothers and sisters and to be part of of that family and, as it were, supplying your uh, blessing and your responsibility that you have within that family, fulfilling those responsibilities. So I will continue to preach this while I have breath in my lungs because it's what we need. And sometimes we have to suffer the exhortation and the encouragement to do that. Do whatever you can to adjust your schedules, to not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. Wherever God has called you to be, be there. Be, you be the encourager. You be the example. And may God bless you and store up for you great treasure, great reward, and it waits for you. Your treasure, your inheritance awaits you. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the word of of encouragement and exhortation from the word. We always need it, Lord. Our flesh is weak and the spirit is always willing. So, Father, as we take this time to think through and present ourselves once again before you at the close of this service, Lord, please minister the, the truths that are necessary to each of our hearts, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'd bless my brothers and sisters. I pray you'd fill each one of us, Lord, with your spirit, overflowing, Lord, with love and grace and joy. Father, I pray that you'd put your shelter of protection around about each one of us, Lord, as we we go our separate ways today. Lord, may you just cover us, go out before us, be our foreguard, our rear guard. We need your protection, Lord. Clothe us with your armor. Strengthen with with the might of your Holy Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?